This podcast was recorded on April 13th, 2021. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and people outside the binary. This is Broken Class with Thomas Huda. I'm your discussion leader, Thomas Huda. And today I have the real privilege of talking with Maya Rabasa, candidate for position six on the Eugene School District 4J. Maya, how are you today? I'm well. I'm uh, enjoying the influx of vitamin D from the sun, so can't complain. Yeah, absolutely. You did a really good job for the video viewers right now of positioning yourself before this like really beautiful, sunny, yeah. natural light there. It's nice. You might um, you might see kids running around back there, but uh, uh-huh, it adds to the uh-huh. ambiance. <laughs> well, it makes my room with one crappy little window feel like I'm just like <laughs> wasting away. Uh, but anyway, so um, one thing that I always ask people right out the gate on these podcasts, um, appreciate the patience for the audience, by the way. It's been many months since I put out the podcast, but that's why we're excited to do this now. Had to get had to get Myra Boss on because not only were you um, somebody who had opinions uh, and who shared perspectives that I think needed to be heard in previous races for the position you're running for, but also in general, just ideas about where the community can go. You're also um, were someone who actually watched and listened to some of my previous um podcast interview discussions with other candidates for local office and I really appreciated that as well and so you might know that I like to start out just no holds barred what's a controversial opinion that you have about anything oh wow I love that That's yeah a in great... the pre-screening I did not tell you I was gonna ask that you did not tell me that you were <laughs> gonna ask me that um uh, you know, I think that because of controversial positions the author has had, this is becoming less of a of a um, um, I don't know fight me type of statement. But I I do not like Harry Potter. Oh my <laughs> goodness, you were on that wave before everybody else. Yeah, well, to me it was just about the the stories themselves. I'm all about magic, but it wasn't magical for me. So okay. um, right. when I'm asked this question and I say that, I often get people that are just like, oh, "Who are you? Where are you from?" Right, <laughs> so, including well, people in my family. Yeah, well, before um, she made such really vicious statements about right. trans people and really going on Twitter and I would say bullying individual trans readers, like fans of the the fictional world that she created. Like right. I like years before that, I kind of had this theory. I would talk to my friend Mary. I kind of bugged her about she was like a big non Harry Potter fan. She wasn't anti Harry Potter. She was just non Harry Potter, which which right. kind of a lot of people take as antagonistic. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. What? How dare you? And um, <laughs> I kind of had this theory. I, I'm, this is going to be a little long-winded. I apologize. But it's, it's basically okay. that like, it came about in this time like before um, b- there were like online forums and the internet was in a place where people would discuss things. But, but, it, but it, it wasn't as – there wasn't as big of a culture of criticism of art on the internet, in my opinion. And so I kind of felt like Harry Potter was the last thing that could come out in society where there was a pretty universal love of it. Because right. nowadays there is more of a tendency to, if something is really well-liked, like for example, Hamilton was really big, but then you also have other people that are like, you know what, we're not really feeling Hamilton and here's this thing that we don't like, you know? <laughs> That's an also here with that too. Um, but then yeah. lo and behold, it's like, well, of course nothing's yeah. perfect. And, and, um, you know, there's a real interesting conversation to be had about, you know, how much value are we adding by critiquing things? Can it be a little bit piling on at times? 
But um, I'm all for pushing back against the Harry Potter thing at this point. Yeah, you know, um, I do. Um, I don't know if holding space is the right term, um, but I do. I do um, give a little bit of um, credit to the folks who were the generation that um, grew up along Harry Potter because I saw. You know, my brother, who's um, gosh, how old is he now? He's 31. So he was the age of Harry Potter and the way that she put them out, he, he aged alongside them. And I mm. think for me, it's reading them one after the other versus like having that time between each book. And, and, and so maybe that's where um, it disconnects from me. I'm not the same generation, but watching the magic for him was very compelling. And I really wanted to, to, to dive in. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I feel like there's that small population, not small, but that whole generation that 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 was Harry Potter's age and grew with him that I um, I think there's there's something different there, you know. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas now you get a kid who reads it and then suddenly they're reading stuff that, you know, they're um, still the same age that they were when they read the first one. And then by the end, it's not really age appropriate. Um mm you know, in terms of like content. And um, so it's, it's just interesting, the, the, the timely dynamic um, of having mm -hmm. all of them accessible at once versus petered out. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, yeah, I, I came about, came on it. We won't talk about this for too long, but I was with yeah. it from the fourth <laughs> book on. Right. So like every time it came out, I was super yeah. hype about it, but then yeah. like, you know, like the, a the Asian character is like Cho Chang, and it's like, well, that's two last names. That, that's like <laughs> Cho and Chang. No, there's no Chinese uh, family naming their their kid right. Cho something. So it's like it just doesn't show a whole lot of. Yeah. And she introduced that character by the time she was already like a multimillionaire. So it's like I don't, I don't, I feel like I don't know. You could have uh, somebody, somebody had a needed more to consideration. Say yeah, right. absolutely. She was she was showing her cards, and we didn't realize it. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Somebody needed to say something like, I think you are, and I, this reflects in your candidacy and in the whole way that you approach public service, you're not a person who wants to lift up singular figures and, and have this idol worship of mm -hmm. like individuals, right? Your website, I noticed like, you know, you talk about what is a communitarian and um, because individuals are flawed and nobody should reach a, a, a level of power where they can't be questioned. And I wanted Absolutely. to I wanted to ask you about, you know, why you uh, have selected that term to identify with so strongly in um, your pursuit of this uh, public service role. Um, I, I appreciate that question because um, this is this is the cornerstone of everything for me. Um, and I think that it comes about. Um, because of how I live in my life on a private level and how I see it influencing um, the public sphere as well. So for me, um, when I think about a school board member and the term communitarian, I think about a commitment to um, involving the community in a manner that is um, not tokenizing and not perfunctory, but actually genuine. And that brings community into decision-making processes from the beginning all the way to the end. Um, as it stands now, we've moved a little bit closer to that. We have a little more openness about um, making meetings more accessible. And, um, you know, I'm thinking more pre-COVID than anything, um, although I'd like us to carry over some of the things we've learned from COVID into the future. And I can talk about that in a minute, but yeah. um, for me, um, 
right now what we what we've done is we've kind of decided that we'll have listening sessions. And to me, that feels very seductive and appealing um, until we stop and think about it. And what's missing when you have listening sessions, what's missing when you have an individual who will sit and listen to you, A, is back and forth, but B, it's the community um, engagement that happens when you hear um, a celebration or you hear a problem being expressed by people that you share community with and you didn't even realize that it was something to stop and think about. And it feels like um, that element of the listening sessions breaks down the opportunity for folks to um, kind of gain momentum with the strength in numbers concept, right? So mm. it's, um, you know, we're talking right now and someone eventually will listen to this, but if it were a room full of people, there'd be people who are like, yeah, or else, hmm, I don't know what she's saying. And I think that, that mm -hmm. that's contagious and that contagion is really, um, it, it gets eliminated when you have these listening sessions and you have an individual that you get to go up to and it feels like, oh, wow, the school board member is accessible. And that's true. However, I think that we can still make space to do that in, in, a, in a group setting where we're, where we're not eliminating the concept of community and we're not reducing it to these individualistic um, ideals that we're so drawn to in our mainstream culture. Um, mm. And then the other side of that is that those listening sessions, um, the, the flip side, and I know you're a teacher, former teacher. I'm not sure what you call yourself. I refer to myself yeah. as a recovering teacher because there's <laughs> a lot to process. I'm like a many former and future teacher. Like there you go. what I want to get into is adult education. I'm starting a master's right. in that because right. I just realized K through 12 is like, wow. Like I always thought of it as like the honorable thing to do public K through 12. But then I realized I just don't think I'm suited for it and yeah. other people yeah. are. So let's uplift so, those people. Right. All right. So, and, and I had a grandfather that did that for many years, teaching English to um, recently arrived immigrants. And, and I always think of him and it's a, um, adult ed is, is a very um, important place to focus. And I feel like it's somewhere people end up falling as opposed to going to right away. So I appreciate that you're doing that. But as a person who has taught and as a person who has um, enjoyed being a student as well, I'm sure you've had the experience where you have those teachers that are magical where um, when you speak, you know you've been heard because they give it back to you in their words to make sure that they've understood and digested and processed. And that doesn't yeah. happen when you get a cold um, you know, PowerPoint presentation saying 72% of people think this, this, and this. When you hear <laughs> your words brought back to you and with a twist in language that reflects that absorption, I feel like that's um, that's something that that we're missing, and that that to me is also a form of um, of being in community is 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 giving back to the people that gave to you to say I I received it, I understood, and I've absorbed it, and I'd like to see that be part of it, um, be be brought into it more, and also. Um, it's just uh, right now for the past, I've been a 4J parent for 14 years. Mm. When I jumped into being a 4J parent and my oldest was a kindergartner, he's now 20 next month. Um, I was immediately brought into the whole world of um, coming before the school board to talk about issues because my kid went to Adams. And it was at the time where the school board was deciding whether or not to close Hillside which no longer mm. exists, they did close it. So right away, I saw how community can have input and can have power. 
And I've watched over the course of the years, and I'm not sure if it's because of, um, you know, shifts in who's on the school board or shifts in who are the parent community members mm-hmm. or, or what is missing in the, in the ingredients that makes for um, really back and forth community input and community involvement. Um, but I've watched that, that kind of taper back. And mm-hmm. I think that it's, um, it's really time that, that that decision-making sphere is not exclusive to seven people and rather um, opened up to everyone who wants to participate and also made it so make it so that folks who don't even know that they can participate are invited in to be part of that process. So in that realm, those are the number one or the top ways that I see communitarian values playing out in the, in the, in the school board setting and yeah. the decision-making it's, you know, that's what, that's what school boards do. They make decisions. They yes. pass policy. Um, yep. We're not, we're not tasked with designing policy, um, although that's debatable, mm. um, but we're, we're tasked with deciding if policy is written in a way that we will put our, our, our yes behind. And, mm. um, and, and it, it, to me, what's lacking there is um, more people that aren't sitting there with clipboards and titles that have director in front of their names and um, whether that's teachers, parents, most importantly, students, and even neighbors and other community members who aren't automatically and um, immediately linked to the school district. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting. And I, and I um, really appreciate the sincerity of how you approach that set of ideas. Um, You know, I was, looking at what I wanted to talk to you about. And I, and I was poking around to see if there was any YouTube presence yet. And, um, well, first of all, I'll brag and say, this is likely to be the first long form interview with, um, burgeoning public servant, Maya, Maya Rabasa. So I feel very prideful about that. Um, but there was a sit down that you had in 2017, it appears with two other candidates who had run for office, who hadn't, uh, who the three of you all had not won in your races for the four J. And there was a quote that really stuck out to me when I watched that, because you were talking about what you learned from campaigning for the school board and talking about like, you know, making how much money you all had raised and how much all of the money you had raised (laughs) could have gone to something that directly affected like a classroom or the fact that so much of it went to making these plastic yard signs while students are learning about sustainability and and how that I could tell there was a tension there between Mm -hmm. just the um, brass tacks procedural elements of having to run for a public office and like the actual priorities that you have as a person who wants to use that office for good. A quote that you said was money could be spent on information providing things versus money can be spent on just getting your name recognized. So like, how do you square that sort of conflict? Because this is like a citywide race, you know, people all throughout the city of Eugene, um, which I know to be the 152nd largest city in the United States. You know, I say we're at a major city on the rise. Like you, you're a politician now, whether you like it or not. (laughs) So like, how do you, how do you square that conflict between that, the nature of, of running for office versus like how you think you can be just a better role model for better schooling and better uh, student-centered practices? You know, I I haven't settled that for myself. Um, I still (laughs) struggle with it. Um, I, um, I, 
this campaign cycle, I've committed to um, making sure that the folks who are helping me are being compensated and compensated well. You know, there's mm. um, um, prevailing wage, and then there's what what could be even above prevailing wage, and and I I try to lean in that direction. Um, I I prefer to. Um, make sure that the that the people who are supporting me are also being um, supported for their time and energy as well. Um, and then that makes me feel a little better about making the compromise with, you know, I just sent a fly a, a PDF for a mailer. And mm. um, in in um, you know the standard pathway for a politician, there would have been a, a lot more mailers being printed and sent than what I was able to agree to and still feel okay about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I understand um, that. Right. So um, even emails, they don't have like a, that paper footprint and it still just feels like this is just a pile of nothing or advertisement, you know? Right. And, and, and it's hard because I, I know that, um, you know, a large number of those mailers won't even make it in the front door. Somebody will look at it while they're in their driveway and it'll go in the, in the bin and then there mm. it goes. And, and that to me is really difficult to sit with. Right. However, I've been very committed to um, making sure that all of that work happens with union print shops, for example. So if I am going to be spending money on those things, I'm going to be doing it while also supporting something that I believe in and, and hold very um, important and, and, and see a need to support as a person who um, has these dollars that are, you know, prescriptively supposed to be spent in these ways. Um, mm -hmm. I also, at the same time, um, I, I still struggle with it. I do, I have to be honest. And I participated in the Oregon Labor Candidate School and, mm. and I learned all the lessons and all the ways that you have to do things. And I'm, I'm mm. really, I believe, and I, um, hold a lot of respect for the folks who, who were teaching me. And um, the one area where I'm still resistant is, is spending that money. It's, and it would feel different perhaps in a different role. But when we talk about schools and school districts and the greatest need, it, it's still four years later, it's still budget crunches, right? So yes. that's still the number one reason we can dream. You often hear school board members saying, we can do anything. We just can't do everything. <laughs> and I'm not ready to accept that, <laughs> but, nice. um, but one of the reasons is because it comes back to money and, and it, and it feels really uncomfortable to see tens of thousands of dollars being spent on campaigns, campaigns that are the equivalent of a full-time instructional assistant, sometimes even the equivalent of a full-time teacher. It, 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 it pains me greatly and it still does. Yeah. Um, so I've been very fiscally responsible and I've been mm. um, I, I've been trying very hard to be um, to really look at those margins and not be excessive with with the funds that I do raise and how I use them. Partly right. because um, I, I have two sources. I have folks who are largely working class, and mm -hmm. I have um, organizations that represent working class people. So to right. me, those dollars are really dear. They're not they're not quick to come by. And I, mm -hmm. I really want to honor, um, you know, how each one of those gets earned should also reflect in how each one of those gets used. Right on. Um, 
Well, it is a four-year term, so you won't have to run again in two years or anything like that. So that's that's good. And I think that that sincere, like, the fact that it sits on you, on your heart, that people are giving you that money and it should do something good, like, will motivate you when you are on the board to right. live up to the things that you're running on and that right. you want to advocate for. But I do yeah. want to ask you... Because um, people talk, uh, understandably, a lot about experience in the in in any kind of public service role, and I think like from a numbers perspective, um, so I'm I'm excited to see where the board is going, um, but it, it appears a near cer- like a, a certainty that Laurel O'Rourke is going to join the board. You are going to join the board. There's another race where it's Tom DiLiberto and Judy Newman vying for the same position. We're unsure how that will go. Then you also have Martina Shabram, who is in her first term now, Gordon Lafer, who is in his first term now, and um, some of the the candidates who have – some of the the board members who have been there for a while will no longer be there. So you will have effectively a majority of – when you are sworn in, a majority of board members who are in their first term. With the fact that a lot of what you've said, schooling and school district issues have to do with with money and um, making sure there are enough resources in the right places. You know, I think of like um, what a public servant does is like trying to find the money, pulling the levers to get the money, going to making sure the state legislature is like properly advocated towards. How will um, how do you view maybe your experiences so far as preparing you for this or like how is the board really going to get done? the things that um, you believe are important? Yeah, you're asking big <laughs> questions, Thomas. I know. I know. That's, um, that's like a question I wouldn't want to answer, but I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to ask it anyway. Well, you know, I think that um, there's an old expression, I don't know who to even attribute it to, um, that a budget is an expression of values. And right. um, having sat on the budget committee, um, I can tell you that... Um, budget book is big and it's fat. It's like this thick, no joke. I'm not exaggerating at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's um, it's important for us to really look at, at all the different things. And, and the budget committee doesn't have the purview to decide on each and each line item. Um, mm-hmm. However, um, the folks on the budget committee who are also school board members have a privilege that um, nobody else in this community has, which is um, coming up very soon, which is selecting our new superintendent. And it's the superintendent, much like the governor who proposes a budget and then has to have it passed, right? So mm-hmm. um, to me, um, that's, a, that's a really crucial component of um, picking a superintendent is really diving deep into values and, and learning about the person, um, not only what they are telling us in interviews, but also what their history has been wherever they've been before they come to Eugene, if they are mm. to come. And, and making sure that we find someone who, um, who has committed dollars to places that I believe they, they should be committed. Um, you know, we, I heard a statistic at some point, um, and I don't know the exact number, but and I haven't backed it up, but I think that's it's okay. Worth, it's a podcast. I think it's worth looking into, <laughs> honestly, that 4J out of all the major school districts in the state of Oregon, we have the lowest ratio or highest ratio. I'm not a math person. Anyway, <laughs> we have more admin to teachers 
than any other school district. So highest ratio, right? Usually we want yeah. low ratios, right? Whatever. Anyway, you get my point. Sure. Um, so, right. And I think that that's, that, that that's worth looking at. And, and I understand and I value um, the role that our admin play. I, yep. this is one of the lessons I've learned in the last four years, four years ago, I was a little more um, knee jerky about just, um, you know, there's too much. Mm. And now right. I'm a little slower and I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about those things, but this is what I, this is where I think that we need to look at things. Right. I think that we, um, we have places in our budget that, and this is just an example. I'm not even sure it's exactly where the answer is, but just looking at our budget and thinking about like, how can we look creatively at this, at this process? Also, Oregon is this weird state that is so business friendly. So, hmm. and then it's really, it hurts me to almost call it business friendly because that sounds so positive because I'm finding it to be really damaging um, hmm. how, how um, amenable we are to businesses. And, hmm. and I think it's really important that as a school I think that board, really, um, that actually like, not to cut you off, try no, to just be open ahead. in conversation. Absolutely. Like, um, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear you say that because I, I can see where you're talking about in terms of the Chamber of Commerce having a lot of uh, impact, having their voice loud, loudly, like they've got yard signs for a candidate in front of their building, like for the school board, wow. the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. And, and so wow. like seeing them having maybe an outsized um, or a large, a large voice in this kind of a process. Right. But I, a lot of people aren't under the impression that I, that Oregon is business friendly. A lot of people think Oregon, you know, uh, well, is but we have two, so you know, there's, there's different categories of business, right? Yeah. And I think that's where we have to look at the, the, the nuance. So the chamber of commerce is tricky because the chamber of commerce represents folks who are, you know, the traditionally referred to as mom and pop shops, right? Like mm -hmm. things like that. Um, mm -hmm. But when we look at the state friendliness, we're talking more about, you know, major corporations and mm -hmm. the lack of tax dollars and things like that. And mm -hmm. that's where I'm looking um, with a more critical eye than I am to, um, you know, I, I want a business to thrive downtown. I, I don't like seeing businesses open and close that that doesn't mm -hmm. that doesn't make my heart sing. Um, you know, I have a son who's 20 and 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 he needs a job and, and the jobs that he's going to be able to have right now are are in, you know, places like that. That's where he's looking and that's where his values are. Um, right. But for me, when I think about education and I think about like, you know, it's it, more time passes and less people pay attention to things like Measure 97. Measure 97 was, you know, we, we get so excited about the Student Success Act. Measure 97 would have put those dollars um, really like in the shadows. I mean, it would have been really impactful. And as a, as a school board, 4J voted to not endorse it. And mm. um, subsequently, it didn't pass. And I think that when a school board doesn't endorse measures like that, it, yeah. it, it doesn't communicate to the community that this is something for them to support. You know, um, endorsements, endorsements matter. They really do. And they speak a lot. And if you're um, a busy voter and you don't have time to dig into everything, which most of us do not, let's be real. Um, you look for those endorsements. You look to say who's supporting this and who's not supporting this. So um, I think it's time for school districts to be 
bold and brave and, and support things like that. I don't see another measure like that coming up, but that's just an example of where, um, where I see us being um, a little too, a a little too friendly um, and, and, Mm. and not asking for more from our, our business partners and our business community members. And again, I don't mean the, the people who are struggling to keep their doors open. I'm not talking about the local bakery around the corner. I'm mm-hmm. talking about, you know, the huge bakery that's pumping things out to Pennsylvania. Right. So, right. Right. Hey, I mean, I, I agree that politics is hard to get a full grasp on at every level. I pay a lot of attention to national stuff and it's like, well, the Trump administration, they cut the corporate tax rate from 35 to 21%. They slashed it. Biden, everybody, um, a lot of people are on the, the right seems to um, want, uh, and I'm generalizing to, to throw anything they can at Biden to see what will stick. They want to call him a like socialist friendly. He wants to bring up the tax rate on the corporations, not up to 35 again, but to 28, you know, and it's, and it's, it's still so much friendlier to them than than 35, um, right. which 35 is much lower than it had been, you know, closer to 60 and 70 in some very prosperous previous decades of the U.S. So it's really interesting to see how, you right. know, I, in the federal government, it can be very disconcerting to see um, the right. influence of big moneyed interests and uh, how how it can be very difficult to um, for for everyday people to have a say when you feel like you see that like these Congress people run every two years, then they have to, they have to raise so much money to hold their seats. Right. So, you know, so I hear what you're saying and I, and I will, you talked about endorsements a little bit. I want to talk about that in a little bit because it is impressive what you've been able to gather in your time. Um, having uh, attempted to join the school board a, a number of yeah. times and kind of uh, really building a grassroots movement as, as it were. Um, yeah. But, but fundamentally a lot of people who are excited about you um, talk about your extensive experience as a volunteer. You know, you mentioned that you're on the budget right. committee, but you also just have volunteered in the schools a lot and yeah. on a personal like level, like yeah. what experiences there have stood out to you that you can share? Wow. Yeah. I've, I, um, I stopped tallying at about 5,500 hours and I think I'm probably <laughs> getting pretty close to 6,000 at this You were point. like, I'm good. <laughs> I was just like, it's a yeah, big I'm, enough number. <laughs> I told you earlier that I, I can write poems about it, but the math part is, uh, is not my, my realm. No, but mm. I, um, I'm sure I could find the number, um, especially because we have to check in and out. Um, mm. but, um, yeah, to me that that has been um, incredibly influential and informative. I I'm not sure that there's anything that makes me more unique as a candidate than that experience. Um, I I'm I'm I say with confidence that um, that those numbers are are not touched by anybody else. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and what's, what's interesting for me about that, uh, experience is how wide, um, I've reached in terms of the roles that I've taken on. So, you know, you get some really prolific volunteers who are amazing and, and really fine tune their role, but it often is a, is the same role. You know, there's people who, you know, Every single day, you'll find them leading reading groups. Every single day, you'll find them volunteering in the playground. Every single day, you'll see them organizing another fundraiser. Um, And those are all things that I've done, but I've also tried really hard. Um, 
I'm often that person who, um, well, let me backpedal a little bit. When I, I'm a former teacher mm-hmm. and when my oldest was in kindergarten, um, I'm not sure. I think as a teacher, you're just in like survival and move on mode. So you don't, mm-hmm. you see what needs, what, what needs there are, but you, you just move past them and do what you can to circumvent that hole that you know is there. Whereas mm-hmm. a volunteer and as a parent, especially kindergarten parents, gosh, we're really obnoxious and we see everything and we're like, that's not okay. And as right. a kindergarten parent, it's such I was, a developmental age. You're like, that's Yeah. And by Absolutely. developmental age, you mean the parents letting go of their babies, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> there too. is, I mean, like we're standing in yeah. the hallway and we can't leave the building. And, and, and half the time we're like, did you see that this or this or this needs to be done? What do we do? Right. And so um, <laughs> I became a volunteer to fill holes that I saw from budget shortfalls. And I'm going to put it on the budget shortfall side of things. And, and perhaps it can also be attributed to policy decisions, but those policy decisions come back to those budget shortfalls. I really believe that everybody wants to do what's best. So the, the, the true culprit here is the budget. And mm. so it was about filling holes for me. It wasn't about like, oh, I really enjoy doing this. So I'm going to offer my services to do this. It was what needs to be done and I'll do it. And, and that's how I've approached it for the last 14 years. You know, there's times when I have extra time and I don't have an obligation and I'll just say, what can I do for you? You know, I'll stop in the office or I'll see a teacher. Um, but what that has turned into is that it's made my uh, volunteer experience very diverse. You know, I've done the very traditional things, but I've also um, translated for parents when they're doing um, parent teacher conferences and the teacher hasn't been able to secure an interpreter. Um, Mm. And I've done that uh, even after being offered pay um, I've done it free of cost because yeah, that can be lucrative. It can be lucrative, but it also (laughs) means committing. And I have, I have a kid at home who, who is disabled and chronically ill. So part of the reason that I can volunteer is because I can't have a traditional job. Um, I, I, Mm. There's no one who's going to want me to call in every time my kid needs to go to an appointment or needs my, my needs me by their side. So volunteering Mm. has been how I've been able to um, contribute to our community. Um, Mm. But it also means that there's times when I don't have time. And then there's times when I have plenty of time. So, um, so I've done things like that. I've done things like, and and these are the things that call to me as well. Um, You know, I've, I've, been that parent who will pick up students to bring them to after hours events because they're not going to make it otherwise. Um, I've been, you know, when communication to me is super important and I see a lack of it way too often in schools. So I've committed to being that person who, when there's not a regular newsletter, I'll write the newsletter, I'll transfer, translate the newsletter, I'll stuff the envelope. So the newsletter gets home. Um, But just making sure that those sorts of things happen. And, and that's, um, you know, you often get people who put in the time and they do one of those things or a few of those things, but I try Mm. to do all of them. And it's really, it's really been um, helpful um, when I didn't even realize that where I was headed was in pursuit of a seat on the school board. Um, To me, it was just like band-aids and triage. And suddenly the band-aids and the triage turned into this um, wealth of insight that I didn't quite realize I was accumulating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that 
You know, I was kind of looking for like you to be like, there was this one time where little Erica like came in and she broke the crayon <laughs> and you helped her sharpen it and talked about what was going on at home. And right. you're just like, yeah, no, I've done this and this and this and this and this, dude. Like, right. I've, done, well, I've done it all. <laughs> so, I, I, and, and really, I honestly, that. Thomas, the more time you spend in the building and I see this with other volunteers, too. So I don't want to just say it's just me, but the more time you spend in the building, the more you see the hidden, invisible things that mm. um, that 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 employees of the school district can't communicate the need for filling right so um you know it's 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 not it's a really compromising position to be in to be a teacher or a classified staff member and stop a parent and say do you know we're understaffed do you know that our kids there's kids in our building who need one-on-one assistance Mm -hmm. and 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 they can't but if you're in the building those things aren't invisible anymore. So if you're in the building and you know that, um, you know, fill in the blank, Johnny, Joey, Sally, whoever um, really could benefit from some time, you know, Mm -hmm. coming into the building quietly and slowly. Like one of my favorite things that I've done almost on a regular basis is having breakfast, sitting at breakfast with the kids who need to come into the space more slowly, who need a transition Mm. that is not like this because that's what it is like in the morning. And having yeah. that space and that conversation with somebody who, 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 who otherwise would be sitting at the table in the cafeteria by themselves. Those are, those are mm-hmm. the things that, that I feel like have um, enriched my, my perspective in a way I never imagined was even happening. It just was the right thing to do. Right on. Um, I want to talk about some of the priorities for your candidacy and um, one that I, that stood out to me, you can talk about however much you want to t- tell me your whole platform if you like, but I really, really resonated with, um, section on your website called the whole student. And you talked okay. about basically that, you know, math and the hard sciences and literature and history are, you know, not always the things that drive the authentic, you know, st- like student interest in being in school, you know, six hours a day and showing up and being there. Often it's the courageous conversations or it's right. ele- other elective courses. It's the arts, it's theater, it's band. Right. Um, and honestly, I-, I could, I would tell you, so I went to North and, um, you know, North and Kelly middle school and, um, schools where we always felt like we always felt like we were we were called like the ghetto school and we were we were we we always recognized that we were um uh on the other side of the tra- of the train tracks or whatever you know what i mean right. and um and that i experienced a lot some of the some of the kids who were like the most vulnerable let's say right. who uh th- they found community through things like like band and theater um right. and so i really appreciated that element of saying that these are not these are not marginal peripheral things these are all a part of what makes the student care about learning and and can actually contribute to keeping them interested in being in school where they'll learn those other those other uh, essential things right. as well so absolutely and and i think that um i think we're on the right track with that on with with more and more people paying attention to it i was in a pancake breakfast for the DPLC, the Democratic Party of Lane County. And um, yeah, who endorsed was, you, by the way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who and, and there were all the candidates that they've endorsed. They all had the opportunity to speak. And I think like, I don't know, it, myself included, three quarters of us focused on what we are now referring to as career and technical education. Um, and, and and I love that. I think that's awesome. 
I was one of those kids. I, you know, I went into school and ninth grade and the first class I walked into my very first period was Mrs. Mitchell child development, which included a component of a lab in our onsite preschool. And I lobbied, we were only allowed to have two years in that. And I lobbied to be able to, or, or appealed to be able to do all four years. And I did. And that's what I was excited to get up in the morning and go see um, little Chelsea or whoever Chelsea was Absolutely. My, my favorite. And that's what, that's what hooked me. And that's, you know, 30 years later, I'm still doing that essentially. Um, I but, was a preschooler at North Eugene as a preschooler. It. And then later in 10th grade took the child development class where I was in the classroom <sighs> with the three to five year olds. My kid went to North Eugene. My kid went to North Eugene and I pressured him hard to do that. And he didn't do it, but he did go the route of culinary arts. So he went to what spoke to him, right? And that's what matters. Not what speaks to his yes. mom, but what speaks to him. And um, and Chef Miho there is like, I'm Shout not. Shout out to I'm Miho Hosaka. Super, super happy with what he learned from her. And cool. Um, but, but. I never knew how many wrong ways there were to bake a cookie until I took pancakes? Miho. Yeah. Or make pancakes. <laughs> I know. Miko yeah. came home and he's like, oh, that's why you always say, don't put it too high. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> and then he was also, gosh, I hope my mom doesn't hear this, but he's like, and that's why those blueberry pancakes that my grandmother made years ago were raw on the inside. Right, mom? <laughs> I was oh like, my oh, gosh. Because... Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. uh, right. right. But right. I think what's what's missing there is, um, is, is looking earlier, right? We mm. talk about, you know, all the things you listed are so important. Band etc. But those things don't happen in kindergarten. We don't have those options in kindergarten. And what 4J has unfortunately done is fall into this, um, fall for the lure of um, early focus on academics, right? Mm -hmm. So slowly but surely, every last developmental kindergarten in our district at mainstream schools, I'm not talking about like the village school or Ridgeline, have disappeared. My 15 year old was in one of the last classes that was a developmental kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And the significant difference between my 15 year old and my nine year old and what kindergarten looked like um, and, and how kindergarten was received by them. And the difference in that hook that happens is just mind boggling. So to me, it also goes back to is there a playhouse in the kindergarten? Is there time and space and room for extra recesses? Um, are we, you know, are we teaching our kids in kindergarten that they are woodworkers already and not waiting until they're ninth graders? Um, and I don't, I don't see that happening to the degree right. that I would like to see it happening. Because if you don't hook them in kindergarten, yeah. you're just trying to fix a problem in ninth grade. And that's... Yep. And that's, you know, we talk about graduation rates and focusing on ninth grade and um, the transition to high school. And if that's where you're focusing, you've lost a huge number already. So to me, that whole child goes way back, way earlier. We need more project-based learning. We need more um, choice for kids. Often the schools that do offer project-based learning give kids a choice in what project they want to sign up for. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's huge. Like if you don't care about watercolors, then you don't care about watercolors. But if like comic book art speaks to your soul in a way that gets you like jazzed, then that's where you should be. Right. So mm-hmm. I think um, 
I think that's, that's, that's where I see it is like, our need is definitely um, like to focus on expanding career and technical education. No questions asked a hundred percent. And right there, if we're not tapping into our, our trades groups, then we're losing something huge in terms of like a connection and a pathway, Mm. but it's what happens beforehand, right? When was the last time we had actual art teachers and didn't rely on the Lane Arts Council to send in artists and residences? It's been a long time, right? Yeah. So yeah. that that to mm. me is those are the things that I'm that I'm seeing missing. And it's great. We have mm. music again, we have PE again, but that's that's not it. That's not it. Yep. And yeah. we can't ask every teacher to know how to teach a unit called Monet's Garden. Not every teacher is gonna know how to do that or to teach a weaving class or, so that's, that's actually a place where I volunteered a lot of my time is teaching art because that's, Mm. that's important to me. But Mm. that to me is, is how we approach the whole child is from day one, Mm. not day several thousand. I want to talk a little bit about music. I'll segue by saying that um, my partner, she is, uh, she has her degree in music education. She's licensed uh, teacher. She doesn't have a teaching job right now, but she is getting into uh, some substitute roles with the Bethel district. Yeah. There is a teacher, um, I think at Willamette, or maybe it was at a middle school, that um, he's a music educator, and it's really helpful to have substitutes who know how to teach music, because otherwise right. you have somebody who's just sitting in the corner while one of the more advanced students is running the pieces, and like they're not moving forward, they're just still running the pieces as they've run right. them before. So, you know, yeah. it's... it's I'm, uh, but she's faced a little bit of like some bureaucratic, like, oh, you got to go to Lane ESD and do this thing and fill out these forms. And then in order to get in. So, um, but she's, she's getting there and, yeah. uh, she's going to do a really good job. She's just like ridiculously talented at piano, especially. Well, I'm um, excited to have her join the yeah. crew. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even though it's Bethel, but you know, no, it's all, but it all, shouldn't it's all be, the same. It yeah. shouldn't be, but it's Bethel, right? It should yeah, yeah, be yeah. and it's Bethel, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. like, I think the new trendy term is to talk about it as silos, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not new and trendy. So for me, it's vacuums. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what I was raised up in. And it shouldn't mm-hmm. be these separate things that are just vacuumed and we're not touching or collaborating. Like it's yeah. absolutely time that we realize that like, you know, <laughs> the border between Bethel and 4J is one street, right? It's completely so fabricated. Exactly. Yeah. And and who knows, it might shift because we love to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. to me, it's the and it's Bethel, not but it's Bethel. Right on. Absolutely. Shout out to them. Uh, so, the, but I always ask people, like, if they're in the political public service role, I ask them about music. If they're in music, I ask them about politics. And so, like, just as a human being, like some of the music that inspires you most, maybe it's recent. Um, maybe we talk about this Kendrick Lamar issue where North Eugene, oh, like yes, the administrators decided to pull that right. because it wasn't deemed school appropriate, even though right. he's a Pulitzer winning right. brilliant artist who's visited the White House and right. with Obama and has advocated on a number of social justice right. issues like yeah, people should just look at the weekly article right. about that because it gives a right. good jumping point for the conversation. Right. Uh, it's called it's called banned from the classroom. Um, but yeah, just like music that inspires you as a human being, like talk well, about it. Go. I think music's one of those things that does inspire us as human beings. It doesn't matter if it's like I don't know pop music, like 
Mariah Carey or if mm-hmm. it's, you know, this deeper, um, more, you know, social commentary laden music like Kendrick Lamar, both of mm-hmm. them are making somebody like tune in and, and, and feel good. And when you feel good, you're open. And when you're open, you're growing. Right. And so yeah. to me, it's like, that's, that's, um, that's one of the reasons I think that, that it's important for us to be open-minded and to think of, um, of music as even, you know, even the music that we don't give the same, the same um, respect to, because unfortunately right. music has this like hierarchy of like, this is intellectual music and this is crap. Um, I don't, right. It's not, it is, <laughs> it's total BS. It's, did it make you move? Did it make, did, does it resonate? Does it stay in you? Does it have sticking power? Um, mm-hmm. Those are the things that matter. And not just like jingles on the radio. That That's different. <laughs> um, but Yeah, um, mattress but, land. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, well, but what's like a concert Kendrick, that you've been to that really stuck with you? Oh, gosh. I, I have been to a lot of comfort, concerts. I um, Sweet. I'm I, so hyped for that post-pandemic. <laughs> Let's go. I'm going to waste all my money. Right. I grew up in the DC area. So I grew up going to a lot of shows that I wasn't supposed to be going into. Um, mm. Again, I hope my mom's not listening to this, but I grew up listening to a lot of go-go music. Um, mm. and also, Maryland and then, has a punk scene from the, that. That's Maryland really has big a punk too. scene like nobody's business. Um, mm-hmm. It's true. And, and I, um, and then at the same time, I also was kind of lured into the whole world of, of things like the Grateful Dead and um, something called widespread panic, which is like the opposite camp to the fish folks often. <laughs> um, and those, I've, I've been to a lot of those types of shows. I grew up with a Mexican dad and a French mom. So I grew up with listening to a lot of, you know, music from Latin America and seeing people like Tito Puente and Celia Cruz and people like that before they unfortunately passed away. Um, so mm. all of those types of music experiences are really important to me. Um, mm. um, I, I, I'm, I'm very open-minded to music. I, um, um, I sometimes frustrate my, my partner who has a very focused music um, palette. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, I, I have, I have many experiences with live music that, that just sit with me and and it goes back to that question of what's a communitarian, right? That's mm-hmm. what that's what that's one of those moments when you look around and you're like, oh wow, like I'm doing something alongside all these other people, and we're leaving, and we have something that now we share, and and it's yes. like you know, and that's um that's one of the things that I think is so powerful is then having conversations with people like, oh, did you what you know like seeing like we were at the same place and like even if you never met suddenly that person is so dear to you because you shared that experience right so I don't know if you know this one musician her name is Lhasa L-H-A-S-A De Sela and she actually passed away but she was a childhood friend of mine and in Canada and Europe she was like huge and in the states Mm. not so much but I highly Mm. recommend that you check her out too because the difference between seeing music in this country and other countries is like this mind boggling, um, you know, there's, it's just, it's very different the way people relate to music. Um, mm. So, but her, her music is also something that's very important to me, um, partly because I knew her forever, but also partly because she um, is like myself. I grew up with a French mother and a Mexican father. 
and mm-hmm. she has those that French Mexican divide or connection, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so that's also music that I love. Um, cool, the, the Kendrick Lamar thing. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because the Kendrick yeah. Lamar thing, you know, because um, we haven't we, talked actually as much about equity uh, and, and which is that's such exactly a passionate... where I was going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and the, you're like me... the equity candidate as far as I'm concerned. It just well, is. Part... Everybody talks about like let's look at everything through an equity lens, but it's like, it's like you know, I literally think it's the blood that's running in your veins. So I appreciate. You know, and this, and and I, I'm beyond frustrated with this situation, but I am also really excited about this opportunity because mm. suddenly this concept that is like abstract and so difficult to touch is like right here and we can touch mm. it and we can talk about it and we can see how a very specific system is what is keeping that from being put back into the curriculum, right? So you read mm. that article and you read quotes about how, well, it'll take about a year. I'm like, no, that should take a half an hour Zoom meeting, right? Mm-hmm. That shouldn't take a year. Like that's a conversation that could happen very quickly if you wanted it to happen. So it's mm. like suddenly we have this, and this is beyond, um, you know, I personally value and, and would like to see Kendrick Lamar in the curriculum because my kids, my teenagers are jazzed to talk about Kendrick Lamar, you know, we'll be cooking dinner, eating dinner, and they're happy to talk about him with me. And did you know this and listen to this? And, um, but wherever you stand on the Kendrick Lamar question is separate from the fact that there's a system that is keeping the conversation from happening, right? There's this curriculum adoption process that is what's keeping it away. And I think that's what makes me really excited about an opportunity to talk about systems in a way that no longer feels abstract and hard to pinpoint. It's like, why? I want an answer. Why should this take a year? Why? Like it, it doesn't <laughs> need to take a year. Um, yeah. and, and I think that, that suddenly we have this example that we can grab onto. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also think because like the, in the hip hop world, a year is like a whole career. <laughs> like, right. Like you in know, a year, like it's going to be like Kendrick who, right? Exactly. No, not really. exactly. I doubt it. Well, I, I mean, feel like he has staying Not power. with him. He right. does. Yeah, he does. But he'll he probably have like a new album at least that's already worth like, you know, discussing. And it's like. He'll have an yeah, album that's yeah. talking about North Eugene, keeping him out of the curriculum. <laughs> I hope so. I, Please. Right. And, and also K-Dot, like. Listen to us. Is, this is, you know, people are like, oh, he's a Grammy award winning artist. Yeah. He's also a Pulitzer prize winning lyricist. Right. right. So even mm-hmm. beyond, like, if we're not, if that doesn't pass muster, what is going to pass muster? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, what, yeah. what do you have to do to say, right. I am worthy of having my words be part of an educational process than receiving yeah. that type of recognition? I, right. I can't tell right. you. And, and well, it's a let's talk about respectability politics and let's talk about the barriers that um, communities of color and individuals of color face where they could be doing everything possible to gain the kind of respect from an institution and still be barred or, or prejudiced against based on their membership within that identity group. You know, there was this really disgusting uh, story of this um, army lieutenant, Karen Nazario, recently, I don't know if you saw this, in Virginia. He was pulled over. He drove less than a mile to 
uh, where on he was on a dark road. He drove to a well lit gas station, which the right. the officer later said was an understandable decision. That he right. he pulled over and he was going slowly with his hazards on. He right. was going to pull over, and there was this immediately um, elevated. Right. Um, uh, you know, aggression against him where he was being very calm. He put his hands out the window. They pepper sprayed him. This His dog was in the back choking. And he was, yeah. it was just one of those just really disappointing uh, instances where, you know, he was in full uniform coming back from right. base camp, yep. you know, and, um, and he still was treated in a way that was so, um, right. and he was being blamed so much for, for something where he had actually allegedly display, he was displaying the temporary plates in his new vehicle in the window, um, but right. but so it was just it was one of those examples, and um, you know we could we could talk about how frustrating that is. There's there's right. a couple other things I'll I'll mention about um, you know police accountability coming up. There's a really tragic Dante Wright case in yeah. uh, Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, and then yes. actually something really that shocked me was today while every Everybody is really focused on that. Uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the police department just put out their statement, um, a media release saying that the officer who shot but did not kill Jacob Blake, he's been reinstated two weeks ago, and they just put the statement out today. I would say, and some people are skeptical. It's like, well, everybody's eyes are on something else, so you want oh, to sneak this info back into back into the conversation. Um, yeah. And one thing that I know that you have been passionate about, because, you know, um, some people will be more willing to generalize about saying all police are X and some people will not be as willing to. But I think sp talking specifically about like um, Eugene Police Department and their presence with school resource officers in 4J, mm -hmm. you have been um, I think of you as like you don't love putting your face out at the front of things, but like. <laughs> damn, if someone's not doing it or if not, if someone's not doing it, but like if there's an opportunity where you have knowledge and like you want to disseminate it, you will do it. And so mm -hmm. I saw you like really helping to lead discussion about reimagining public safety in 4J. Mm -hmm. And um, you want to just talk about that and, and uh, what, what you view as the, what, where is it at now and where is it going? Ah, that's a good question. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, um, so right now, there's a, it, mm. <laughs> I'm going to try to yeah. choose my words wisely here. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. I, I'll, I'll tell you where I see it as an, at now. Right now, we have um, three current school board members, one of whom is stepping away from the board soon. So there's um, Anne-Marie Levis, who won't be on the board come June 30th. Judy Newman, who we don't know if she wins her election, she will be, she won't, if she loses, then she won't be. And then mm -hmm. Martina, who we mentioned earlier. Um, and they have been tasked with being kind of the folks to take the lead by the board on this issue. Mm -hmm. They've hired a, um, a, a consulting firm to facilitate the process called Sea Change Oregon, who, um, the more I listen to them, the more I feel pretty good about them helping with this role. Um, however, um, this is a personal thing versus a them thing in the sense that I, I, I see other districts doing it in a little bit quicker. And, and I want to give respect and, and, and space to this facilitating group who has experience um, guiding districts to 
rebuild systems. Um, and I don't have that experience. I've never um, led something like they have led. So I want to I want to slow down and listen to what they have to say. And and I'm often you know pleasantly surprised and 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 um, feel satisfied with the answers that I, I hear them giving. But um, but our process is going really slow. So um, I'm not even sure when community will be involved yet. <laughs> um, we we. We're told it would start in January. It's April, and as of now, working with this group, it's it's pushed out even further. Um, my concern is that um, we need to make sure that in the meantime, we're being as transparent as possible, right? So, sports started again, and suddenly there's this information out there that EPD has been hired to keep people away from the games, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't because be information. Of social distancing, right? Limiting the audience, right? Just to be absolutely. Clear. And whether it's appropriate or inappropriate is a is a is an important conversation. But before you even get to that, you need to have the information that there's a conversation that could be had. So it's not released in a way that's just forthright and out there. Like, yes, we've stopped a relationship with EPD to employ SROs. However, we are going to continue to um, contract with them for opportunities or moments or events like this, where we feel um, ill-equipped to handle it with 4J staff. Um, Again, that's debatable, but you can't debate it if you don't know. And then what ends up happening is that when the information comes out, it, it gets passed through, you know, back channels and some people get it and some people don't. And then it feels like this thing that was being hidden. And then that makes people feel distrustful. And when you're a service providing agency, which is what a school district is, if you mm-hmm. don't have the trust of your community and of your stakeholders, you're not healthy. You're just not, you can't be healthy. Like, and at the core of trust is relational health relationships, right? Yeah. So Trusting your stakeholders to receive the information is really important. And equally important is stakeholders trusting the agency to give you the information. So so the process is feeling slow to me, but I want to honor the expertise of sea change. Um, I do trust them. Um, But um, at the same time, I would like to hear a little bit more about who's going to be involved. I would like to hear more about how they're going to select who's involved, because if they're only involving between 15 and 25 people, how many of those are going to be, you know, I talked about the clipboard people, right? Mm -hmm, How many of those mm -hmm. are going to be the clipboard people? And how many of Mm -hmm. those are going to be, you know, teachers in the buildings? How many of those are going to be students who have spoken up? one side of it or the other, how many of it are going to be the experts who do this work in other capacities in the, in our community that, that feels like, um, like important information for us to get if they're asking us to wait for that step. Um, yes. So yeah, I am excited because there's a lot of people who reach out to talk to me about this. Um, for me, I consider myself somebody who is really tuned into how to make sure communities involved more than I am an expert on what this system should look like. Right. 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 Um, I don't have training in mediation or fill in the blank. Right. 
but I do know how crucial it is for an organization to be healthy, um, for, for trust to not be compromised. And I do, um, find myself very well connected to a lot of people in the community who are saying we don't feel trustful and I'm not, um, in a position and maybe I will be as a school board member. I don't know, but I'm not in a position where that makes me feel defensive. In fact, that Mm -hmm. makes me feel proactive. Mm -hmm. So I find myself, um, in a, in a place where, um, calling for community involvement is where my forte is. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I will continue to do that. Um, and, and until community is involved, I would really like to know how they imagine community will be brought in. Um, mm-hmm. And that feels like a, a great way to make a placeholder so that people aren't feeling um, ignored, left out, excluded, disenfranchised, demoralized, all those things mm-hmm. can be prevented mm-hmm. with information. Just give yes. us some information. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's kind of mysterious. I am on the right. equity committee and they come and talk to us. I listen to every single one of the work groups. I listen to all the special committee meetings and, and I feel well-informed and yet well-informed in this capacity capacity is not um, fully informed because there's not information to be had. So right. I'm trying I'm to be gonna, patient. Yeah, you yeah, go. absolutely. Well, I'm going to launch into what seems like a tangent and it's going to come back. Okay. And then I have one more question I want to ask you about the people who okay. trust you and the endorsements you've received. Yeah. Because so you know that this show, I, I, I was trying to bring as much attention to the show and be clickbaity and it used to be called less stupid and i would ask people (laughs) at the end what's one way we could all be a little less stupid and i think i i tried to justify it in a whole different number of ways but ultimately i didn't think it adequate adequately like reflected my mo my 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 spirit (laughs) who i am i don't think people are stupid (laughs) you know i and so i don't i didn't want to give that impression and now there are a number of reasons why i called it broken class Uh, i was up in portland taking photos of a of the feds um and their conflict with um you know black lives matter activists and um antifa activists and um you know they shot at my window when i was sitting in my car and broke my windshield of my car and um, it was that was a bunch of broken glass. And I thought broken glass is like it's like it could be a whole number of different things, how you want to interpret it. But it is education themed in a way. And I and I wanted to like I don't have a snappy like question to ask at the end of the show anymore about being less stupid. But I'm trying to like <laughs> and this is like in public. I'm working this out. Right. Like what's how can I address like what is a solution to brokenness or like, how do you see something that's broken and where do you see an opportunity to rebuild or something like that? Um, And so one thing you talked about is like having different stakeholders and different perspectives about policing and about safety. And one of the things that I think is becoming close to broken now, and hopefully there are solutions to it is just like the fundamental, maybe it's always been like this on some level, but fundamentally like, we could be looking at the same object and see two very different things. Oh, if you see there are some yeah. communities who look at a badge, a, an off, a uniformed police officer, that is the embodiment of safety and that will protect and has protected. And I'm not going to say right. that those experiences are invalid. Whereas in other situations, people will look at that as like 
the number one threat to a person's safety at a given time or has affected or incarcerated their family members or their community members or um and that to me it's like boy this is a big question but how do we like how do we come to some of that i guess it's i guess it's through what you care about so much is 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 a real in a community discussion and forum for real right. engagement um but that to me is like I almost admire anyone willing to get into public service because it's so it's such a tense and polarizing, you know, you and I have both been really careful with our words during this podcast at some point because like I just oh I know someone's going to be upset that I characterize this in a certain way, but ultimately we have to just be able to have conversations. Right. right. You know? You're right. Um yeah. it's like that um the the artist Magritte, do you know who I'm talking about? No. He's a French artist and you'll know the piece. It's like the, his most famous piece is the, you know, painting of a pipe and it says, Ceci n'est pas une pipe, which means this is not a pipe. Is, and it's pipe. not, it's not, it's a picture of a pipe, but he has this other painting that I think is even maybe more compelling where it's, um, um, you see in the foreground a, an easel with, um, with a painting on it. And next to it is a window and it's a painting of what's outside the window, right? Mm -hmm. But all you see is what that artist is looking at. And had they shifted slightly to the left, you'd have a different, it's like my backyard, right? So like yeah. there you see shelves, there you see, you know, it's yeah. so shifting our perspective. Something. Yeah, there is, I'm in my daughter's bedroom. That's her loft. Um, oh, it <laughs> it's the nice. quiet room in the house. Um, nice. So, the Zoom you know, room. That, right. <laughs> um, so you see the, that shifting of perspective. It's not always you're shifting your own perspective, but you're shifting your willingness to be open to the perspective of others, right? And that you're not yeah. defining the reality just on what you see out of this window. Because even beyond yeah. what I just showed you, there's like three neighbors down and two miles over. And, and it's like, there's a lot more out there than what you're just seeing right here. And I think right. that that's, that's, that's where, that's where we, um, that's where we need to, to slow down and, and make sure that we are, are hearing and, and not just hearing, but seeking out so that we can hear because not most people, not, I was going to say not everyone, most people are not in a position where they're going to independently go and give input. They're just not, it's not, it's mm -hmm. not something that's, yep. that we've built in a way that is friendly and amenable to scheduling and things like that. So yeah. to me, it's that, that shifting of perspectives, that shifting, shifting, um, you know, and, and with that comes communication. You had your window broken because somebody saw you doing something and made a decision, right? Mm -hmm. and they, they mm -hmm. decision and a, and, and a conclusion as to who you are and what you were after. Mm -hmm. And, and had, had there been time or space or other, means of um interacting mm -hmm. that decision might not have been made right like from their perspective i believe they probably thought i was going to drive my vehicle into the line of police i had actually i was i was finding reprieve from the tear gas the whole line of protesters had moved behind my car so suddenly i was in the center of the action i all i did was i turned on not the full headlights but like the little first lights it's to just indicate light. like Please don't shoot things at me or at or throw more canisters in <laughs> this direct direction because I am here in this vehicle, and yeah, that 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 happened. A right. few. And I actually, right. yeah, so yeah, um, 
but yeah. this isn't even really about that. But but no, um, but it it, there... you're, you're, it makes sense. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it it is. It's about it's about um, drawing conclusions, and we have to do that quickly sometimes. But yeah. sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have time and space, and we can't always um, insist that that has to happen. So, um, you know, quickly. And right. a lot of times that's defensiveness. Yes. Um, but but that perspective yes. shift and the open mindedness to all different kinds of perspectives and not just perspectives, but expertise and recognizing that expertise comes in so many forms and, um, and valuing those different forms and really in giving credence to all different versions of expertise, you know, right. and that, that, that's a huge step that, that I think is a hurdle that um, I'm willing to take on convincing folks to do Um but I, I do think I need a little long, long vision with that one because I think it's a hard one for a lot of people to take on. That's really refreshing that you don't want to just discredit that people have expertise just because it, they might be in some position that you might never find yourself like in, in some job or role that you wouldn't particularly right. lend yourself to. But hey, we can benefit from that person having spent years doing X, Y or Z if they want to continue to you know, we can all work together on some level. Um, and, um, and on the topic of expertise, although very, I want to talk about your endorsements. doesn't matter because you're going to, you're going to win, but, um, you did mention before, and I want to, um, there are some things we've learned from COVID that, um, what do you think could continue? Uh, because what I find is like, Hey, what are we going to do about the fact that there are, there are students who have had the experience of, distance learning being really beneficial to them or I got one upstairs right on cool so you can you understand it very closer than I do I do I have you know I'm like I said I'm in my daughter's room and she is over the moon to be back in school even if it's for only a few days a week Mm -hmm. my son on the other hand um He's 15. By the time school starts, he'll be 16. Um, so he'll be eligible to be vaccinated, but he's my, he's my son who has a lot of, um, health challenges. So as it stands now, there's no way he can go back to school, but, um, luckily I didn't have to have that conversation with him because he didn't even want to, he loves this. It's working really well for him for a number of reasons. He missed school for three years because he was so sick. So he missed seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. So for him, um, the anxiety that he experienced with the prospect of going back to school had nothing to do with, am I going to catch up with math? It was more, how do I tell my friends in the hallway that I got to go to ninth grade math when I'm a junior, you know? So it was like the social anxiety. It was, how am I going to deal with all the people being like, Kai, you're back, you're back. You know, he didn't want any of that. And being able to learn online, he's bypassed all of that. And he's just jumping back in, in a way that's comfortable and protective. Um, Maybe with Kitty in his lap or something. (laughs) I don't know, whatever it is. Two of them, right? Because we have a puppy. So now the kitties are upstairs in his room constantly. So he's got two kitties in his lap. He's on Mm -hmm. his bed. Um, He's got his screen off unless he goes to office hours, which is the only time that I ask him to turn it on because I totally 100% um, protect and am protective of students who do not want to turn their screens on. Um, yeah. In office hours, when it's one-on-one with the teacher, um, I'm, a, I'm a professor's kid. I, I, I can't shed the need for him to just give a little bit of space and, and openness to exposing himself and being a little vulnerable 
with the teacher. I can, yes. um, he doesn't always do it, but I, I encourage it heavily. Um, but, yeah. um, but I think that, I think that one of the lessons that we need to learn is that we need to, we need to offer a quality online program to our students. Um, what was in place before COVID was um, adequate, I guess I'd go with, but it wasn't quality in a sense that um, my kid wouldn't want to do all day long with that version. And, um, and I think that, I think that we need to continue making that available, not just because of health safety reasons, but mental health safety reasons as well. Mm. Um, So that's one of the huge spaces where I think that we need to learn lessons Uh, as much as I hate, and, and I'm enjoying this zoom, but as much as I hate the endless zooming, I think zoom is like this, um, I don't know. It's like a new glass of water or something. It's like this refreshing thing where suddenly everything feels doable, right? Like, you know, it's, 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 um, you, you have, you can minimize travel time. You can, um, feel things are so much more accessible and, and I recognize it's not accessible for everyone. Don't buy gas in order to transport either. Boom. Right. We can stick with our electricity instead. Um, and, and of course it's, it's not accessible to everyone, but I do recognize that 4J and I can't speak to every school district ever, but 4J has done a really good job of making, um, devices accessible and making hotspots accessible. And when your device isn't working, I mean, my kids wasn't working and I brought it in and 20 minutes later, they called me, they were like, don't even leave the parking lot. We'll fix it. Just stay. And and it was done. It was fixed in 20 minutes. Um, I don't know if it was the same device or a new one or what, but I had a new one that worked in my hands for him to use. So that means that families also have access to a device, right? Beyond, um, what they would have to supply on their own. So, um, I really hope that we hold on to zooming and things like school board meetings or, I mean, equity committee, uh, nobody has ever come and sat in the equity committee. Now on a regular basis, there's at least a dozen people that are sitting and watching it and tuning in. And that's, that's tremendous. That's accountability in a way that was never touched when somebody had to make it downtown at four 30 in the afternoon didn't happen. Didn't happen. So yeah. those are the kind of things I think we need to hold on to. Free lunch. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to hear that we can't afford it. There's a lot of people who who are not going to tell you that they can't afford it and are still going to access it because they need it. There's also mm. a whole lot of people who um, who make donations to EEF because they're moved by the, by the gesture of the district, making things like free lunches available. So like, I want to trust our community to not like take advantage of a free lunch program um, and, and actually do the right thing. You know, I, that's what I hear is like, well, we have people who don't need it and they should have to pay for it. Well, I think those people are also putting their, um, resources into places that support other things and it balances out. So those are, those are the places I think, I mean, I, maybe I'm too trusting, <laughs> but I, I, I That's am. Me I, also. I, trust. I work at a hotel and like a guest will come in and I'll check him in and everything's good. And the person next to me is like, we better keep an eye on that person. And I'm like, why? They seem so right. nice. <laughs> like, right. That's me. I'm very trusting. And right. And, and honestly, like what more times than not, the person doesn't need to be, 
have their eyes, you know, like people, people are yeah. like more people are doing the right thing than aren't. Let's be real. And a lot more. We're not living yeah. in a Netflix series. We're living in real life. Like, yeah. Come on, right. And I oh. think honestly too, like, you know, we're doing this podcast. I'm not under any delusion that I'm like going to take over the media landscape of the world <laughs> and do this much better, like innovative, cool thing. But like one of the things that the media at large, the for-profit media does is they 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 know that fear-based clicks and fear-based revenue is really um, helpful for their bottom line. And if they can get us to fear one another as human beings, and then they're going to have more ability to sell us the information that they want that they say is the solution or stick us around longer for sitting through the advertisers in between their little crappy little right. condensed segments. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so I appreciate that you don't fe- you, you try to see the good in other people cuz yeah. it's there. You know, it's abundantly but, there. And I want to make sure um before our time runs out that yep. I point out how important I think and I think I've said this to you in the past and if I didn't then um shame on me because I it's my first reaction when I saw one of your first or one of the first interviews I saw which was this appreciation for filling in a hole right like um when we talked about the money and the campaigning this to mm-hmm. me is a way to fill in a hole this is this is this this doesn't cost me anything right like mm-hmm. and yet this is a way of sharing information and making information accessible so like when we have a county like lane county that doesn't do voters pamphlets um for special elections we mm-hmm. need folks to step up and fill in those holes. And to me, this is like one of those crucial um, and creative and frankly, a little more interesting ways for information to be disseminated and shared and, and accessible. Um, so um, yes, it, you might not post it with a click baby title, which if you do, that's fine. It'll make me laugh. Um, <laughs> School board candidate says what? You won't believe exactly. it. <laughs> and I'm sure yeah. I've said something that somebody would be like, I can't believe she said that. So it would be, it would be, it would be justified, but what can but I yeah, say? Like, <laughs> Hey, you know, it, that I try to do the audio and the video, even though it takes a little extra time because sometimes people will tune in on YouTube and like, by six minutes in, they're like, oh, this is really cool, but I want to do other stuff. Switch to the audio. I put the link right. in there and right. you can do your dishes awesome. and you can clean your living room. I love it. Come back to the video. The timestamps will be the same. I so, love, um, I'm, a, I'm a podcast freak. That's how I sweet. cook dinner. I nice. tell everyone, leave the Me kitchen because I'm turning my podcast on unless you want to listen <laughs> to this. <laughs> nice. Right yeah. on. Yeah. Okay, well, I was going to ask you about how it feels to be trusted by all these people, but we're kind of low on time. It's I'm just going to rattle off that four members of the current board have endorsed you, Oregon Working Families Party, Democratic Party of Lane County, Eugene Education Association, um, members of government at pretty much all levels, uh, Lori Trieger, the Lane County Commissioner, um, State Representative Marty Wilde, both of the Piercys, former Mayor Kitty and former um, Deputy Superintendent David Piercy, um, a whole slew of 4J teachers and parents and former teachers, and uh, even the the other candidate who had registered to be in the race, uh, Dakota Boulette. If I'm pronouncing that right, he you are um, you and and he's a young gentleman who, when he came into the race, I remember that you said, you know, you were like, 
well, I'm no longer unopposed. And you were like, I'm really excited that like a, a young person it wants to enter this conversation. And you just right. genuinely had that feeling of like, this is great. It wasn't yeah. like, how will I crush this person? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Not even at all. And now, well, you know, he's endorsing you. And, and so. And, and he's not just endorsing is. me. He's advising me. Um, there's Sweet. things that, I mean, I've never been a graduate of four J schools. I also right. haven't been in school for, I'm 46. So almost th- uh, 30 years. Um, like there's things that I don't have access to unless I have two student interns, but his, his willingness to join, um, like my team of people and to advise me and to push me, um, you know, I spoke about student, I mean, uh, school lunches earlier and that's always been in my mind, but he's the one who texts me and is like, so universal school lunches, where are we on that? You know, and and it's something that matters to him and, and it matters to him because he, how can you learn if you are food insecure? How you can you contribute to the classroom dynamic that other people need to learn from? You can't. And mm-hmm. and we've moved away from Sodexo and we have better school lunches. So now not only are we offering lunch, we're offering a quality lunch. Like I saw wow. what my kid ate the other day. It looked really good. I wanted some of wow. that orange chicken. It was like delicious. And so it's not just accessible food, it's accessible quality food. So yeah, I love, that's probably my favorite endorsement out of everybody on that list is Dakota's. Um, Not just because Hmm. he is giving me space, but because he didn't just disappear. He's like joined me and has backed me and is, and it's giving me insight and advice in a generous way that I can't ever have, um, you know, even imagined asking for it just he he did that independently and he, and, Mm -hmm. and, and it's invaluable. It's, it's, you know, I have a kitchen cabinet. Nobody has the insight that he has. I mean, mm-hmm. they have different insight, but they don't mm-hmm. have that insight. And and I I I'm really um I, I'm indebted to him for for his willingness to to jump on and and I hope people pay attention to him. He's he's um he's very deep and thoughtful and and um I think I said this somewhere else. Um his 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 lens that through which he views the world is compassionate to a degree that um, I'm not sure I've, I've um, experienced and been exposed to very often. So I hope people pay attention to him and, and, and I'm glad that he's not going away. Right on. That's some gracious words from one of our next uh, upcoming mm-hmm. Eugene school district Four J board of directors members will you maybe can we do this again when you're after several months of you on the board and and oh, sure. uh, some experience there like one of those be... like cliched 100 days in type of things i love it <laughs> yeah yeah i'll give you a check a score list uh, right well she's got a b minus in this but <laughs> the arts are doing pretty well i you All know right. i appreciate this because there's a lot of things i've said and i hope people hold me accountable to them i am um, beautiful i i don't want to be just left off in the wind and oh that was campaigning these, these yeah. matter to me all right. I believe it. Okay. Yay. Well, you have a, a wonderful uh, rest of your evening. Thank you. Thanks so much. It was wonderful. Right. Thank you for inviting yep. me. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Thomas. Oh, my long-awaited next rap album is coming out after seven years. Yes, the Gradient album Chicken is coming out quite soon. And I'm sure this 16-second clip of me talking about it is getting you very excited to stream the album. Thanks.